23 down through verse number 28. If you were not here this morning, um, I covered the four main points of the message. Tonight we're going to be focusing in on what we gain when we plant the right seeds in the soil of our heart. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. John 12, verse 23 down through verse number 28. Did you come tonight with your heart prepared to get something from God's Word? I hope so. Um, I hope that um, you'll let God speak to you in a special way tonight. The Bible says, beginning in verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came their voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. We looked at the verse this morning. I believe most of you here either have it memorized or are highly familiar with it. But quote it with me if you know it. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We're going to finish up the sermon we began this morning, planting the right seeds. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight you'd use what's said to motivate your people to be vigilant. Lord, to keep their heart. And God, to leave this place determined to have the end game in mind and then do the work necessary in order to live a successful Christian life. Lord, we pray that White Oak Baptist Church would be a church filled with Christians who bear fruit for decades to come. And Lord, maybe that somehow through 2019 and the series of sermons that are preached on being rooted in Christ, God, that you would help us to attach ourselves and prepare ourselves for great Christian success. Lord, would you move my lips and say what needs to be said. And the Holy Spirit of God, for those especially that have their hearts prepared, would you, would you give them some truth to latch on to? that will make them more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your Son's most precious and holy name. Amen. You can be seated.
this morning we looked at the importance of sowing the right kind of seeds into the soil of our heart. We talked about how that there are seeds being thrown into our heart every day. And again, what did we say seeds were? Seeds are ideologies or mentalities. Um, and there's a battle going on between Satan and Christ in the Bible on what type of mentalities you're going to carry with you. The old adage is what? That if you want apples, then you have to plant apple seeds. You can't plant weeds and get apple seeds. You can't plant orange seeds and get apple seeds. You've got to plant apple seeds if you want to get apples. Now, many people want a successful Christian life, but they're not willing to sow the right kind of seeds into the soil of their heart to get the Christian life that they so desire. Um, Make no mistake about it, any relationship worth having is going to require hard work. You're going to have to put hard work into it. There isn't a married couple here that is successfully married that hasn't had to work really, really hard to have a successful marriage. If you've got teenage children and they're well behaved and they love you, you've had to work hard through the duration of their life to make that relationship go and grow. Uh, if, if you have uh, parents and you all in all get along with them, there have been bumps and there have been times where it's been tough, but you've you've had to work hard to maintain that relationship. Now, the the way where uh, it's easy to have a good relationship with God is that He is perfect. But we have this nasty thing called the flesh that gets in the way that just keeps us from really growing and having that relationship that we ought to. Um, A good way to live the Christian life is figure out who you want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Where do you want to be as a Christian? Not only geographically, but spiritually, who do you want to be? Now... You have an idea in your mind of where you want to be or who you want to be, then backtrack the path to where you are now, and each day you wake up, you need to take steps down that path to get you there. You know what water does? Water takes the easiest path possible. And if as a Christian you're going to take the easiest path possible, or you're going to let whoever throw the easiest type of seeds into the soil of your heart, you're going to be nothing more than a briar patch of weeds. And it's going to take you a long time to turn that around. A farmer that has apple trees does a whole lot of work to get it there. But it begins by cultivating the soil and then putting apple seeds in the soil. And tonight, the question is, we looked at preparing the soil of the heart back in the earlier part of the year. The question is tonight is, what kind of seeds are getting down into your heart? Now, this morning, by way of introduction, we looked at four types of seeds the Scripture says that we are to have in our heart. Now, I don't know that this list is all-inclusive. I can't say that. But I know that John chapter 12 gives us three, and then Luke 8 gives us another. Let's just quickly review those, and then uh, we'll move on. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, because this is where we were at this morning. But we looked at the seeds of the Scripture. Luke 8, 11 says that the seed is the Word of God. We'll look at more examples of that in a minute. Then we looked at the seed, uh, seeds of self-abandonment. We talked about how that you cannot succeed in the Christian life by trying to live the Christian life through the power of your own flesh. 
You're trying to get your carnal flesh to accomplish the spiritual. Your carnal flesh is anything but spiritual. You're spinning your wheels, you're wasting your time, and you're going to hit a pretty low ceiling with that. The goal, the goal is to mortify the deeds of the flesh, surrender to the Spirit of God, and let the Spirit of God take you to where God wants you to be. We said the Christian life is not, self, not about self-improvement, but rather about spirit Improvement, spirit improvement, letting the Holy Spirit of God radically transform me into who He wants me to be. The planting of the seeds of self-abandonment. Then we looked at the seeds of service, the seeds of servitude, rather. So in order to really achieve what God wants you to be, you must accept your identity as a doulos. That is the Greek word that means slave or servant. By the way, the word for deacon is the same root word doulos, a servant or a slave, not of the pastor, but of God Almighty serving under the care of the pastor. But God's not just called the deacons to be servants. He's not just called the pastor to be a servant. He's called all Christians to live a life of servitude, to take on the example of Jesus, to get down and wash the feet of your disciples, even the one that's about to stab you in the back and betray you. God's called us to take on a lifestyle of uh, uh, of being uh, humble and living a life of humility and all the attributes that are attached to servitude and to plant those seeds of not being served, but serving. And then we looked at, lastly this morning, the seeds of suffering. The seeds of suffering. Now, uh, we talked about how that through the suffering of Jesus, I, you, all of those redeemed can be saved because of His suffering. And God calls Christians at times in their life to suffer so that others can be bettered by that suffering. Now, this evening, we're going to go back and we're going to revisit each of these seeds that need to be sowed into the soil of our heart. However, instead of focusing on the importance of sowing the seed, we're going to jump in a time-lapse video like the one you just watched a minute ago, and we're going to see what that looks like once those seeds have taken root and have come up to fruition. What does that look like? What is the harvest uh, look like once you have sown the seeds of the Scripture, of self-abandonment, of servitude and suffering? What is it that we reap? And so tonight we're going to jump in and look in great detail at that. Tonight I propose that Christians would do well to put their eyes on the end prize, the harvest, and then put in the dedication and commitment to seeing the proper seeds get planted in order to make our dream a reality. Now, I want everybody to do this for me. Everybody think of a Christian that you know, that you admire. Alright? Now, no Christian's perfect. But everybody here think of a Christian that you know, that you admire. Maybe some of you it's your spouse, or one of the deacons, or the leaders of the church. Maybe it's a, a leader that used to be here and has moved on. Uh, think of somebody, maybe it's someone that has no association with this church whatsoever. Someone you know that is greatly successful that you admire in the Christian life. Now, I think what you're going to find about that person that you're thinking about right now is that many of the fruits that I'm going to describe tonight, or the Bible's going to lay out for us tonight, those people have. Here's the beauty of it. This isn't just theory. This isn't just theory. There are people that you know 
If you know very many Christians, there are people that you know that have the fruits we're going to talk about already abounding in their life. And you look at it and you say, well, why don't I have that abounding in my life? Because you haven't done the work of putting the seed in the soil of your heart and letting that grow to fruition. And that's a process that takes time. But the goal is in front of you. And tonight, what I want you to see is, if you will put in the work of sowing the right type of seeds into the soil of your heart, there are all kinds of benefits of a harvest that await you. We're going to look at those tonight. Let's go back to the four types of seeds we've looked at this morning and look at the harvest that we will reap if we sow those seeds in our heart. Let's begin with the seeds of the Scripture and note letter A, we reap eternal life. Eternal life. Now this is when I hope that everyone here uh, awaits. Now, uh, by the way, I need to get this in here. Every one of the four types of seeds we discussed this morning, I'm going to give you... And, and by the way, I didn't lay this out this way on purpose. I got into point number four and I said, look at here. There is a heaven fruit to be gained and there is an earthly fruit to be gained. There is an eternal fruit that's promised. There is an earthly fruit that's promised. Almost like God knows what he's doing. Isn't that something? God says, if you put the right seeds in your heart, I'm going to reward you here on earth and I'm going to reward you even greater in heaven. So below all four types of the seeds that we are to sow, I'm going to share with you an earthly reward, and I'm going to share with you an eternal harvest, an earthly harvest and an eternal harvest. And I'll notate heaven and earth uh, next to each of these. I'd recommend you notate that on your notes there as well. Letter A, we reap eternal life. Turn over with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Obviously, we'll be back in John 12, so don't lose your place there. The Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Which liveth and abideth forever. Nicodemus in John 3 was born again of, I don't know if he got saved in John 3. We know from later he did get saved. He helped bury Jesus. But what was he born again of? He was born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. What is the end result to someone who truly follows what the Bible teaches? They become born again. They receive the gift of eternal life. If the seeds of God's Word, according to Luke 8, get into the soil of your heart, then that person is born anew. They're born again. Now, I know I'm preaching to a Sunday evening crowd, and I know the first step to public speaking is know your audience. I'm looking out at my audience tonight, and I believe that if not all of you are saved, born again, most of you are, but I've also been at this long enough to know that there are plenty of people who just don't quite have the doctrine of salvation just right. They, uh, they could, look, I, I believe we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked at who is there and who isn't there. There's going to be a whole lot of people that God says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And they're going to say, but we, I taught Sunday school at White Oak Baptist Church. I worked, I drove a bus, I worked a bus route, I, I, I vacuumed the floors, I took out trash, I, I ran the sound booth, I played the piano. I'm not picking on anybody that does these things, by the way, okay? 
I think Miss Rachel's saved, and I think Brother Joe is saved. Amen. I think Miss Barbara is saved. She vacuums the carpets around here, but uh, or helps do that. But but listen, no matter what your role is, who knows? Doing those things don't get you to heaven. Good works have never gotten anybody to heaven. How do you get to heaven? It is the seed of the Scriptures of the Word of God. Listen, uh, it is God's Word that transforms lives, that changes hearts. It is the Word of God that lays out for us the story of salvation that helps us to see our way and our map to God. So, what are the uh, what is the harvest that we reap? Well, hey, look, I, I don't know about you. I hope this excites you. I hope, in the, I hope that you haven't uh, allowed this part of the story to grow bored or boring to you. But if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you, my friend, are going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. I hope that excites you a little bit. I hope that gets you a little roused up this evening. That is the harvest of the seeds of the Scripture. Let her be, notice here on earth, enduring fruit. Enduring fruit. What comes of the man or the woman or the Christian, the brother or sister in Christ, that takes in the Word of God into the heart, lets it sink down deep and establish roots and grow a harvest? Psalm chapter number 1, 3 and 4, but let's begin in verse 2. Look, Listen here, listen here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight... Notice it doesn't say his begrudging habit is in the law of the Lord. It doesn't say his daily Bible reading is in... His delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight? I delight in some things. Can I tell on myself here for a minute? Last night I uh, was on my way home from uh, Danbury. I was up in Danbury doing some things. And I was on my way home and I stopped at a Dollar General around the corner from my house. And I went in the Dollar General to find myself some dinner. Now, Pastor Lejeune doesn't cook. So what did Pastor Lejeune get for dinner? Well, the first thing I did is I walked over to the, the freezer uh, aisle. You say, why would you go to the freezer aisle to get dinner? Because there's ice cream <laughs> in the freezer aisle. And I found myself some Edie's Double Fudge Brownie ice cream. You say, that's what you had for dinner? Don't judge. And then I walked over to another part of the freezer, and I got myself a DiGiorno pizza. You say, was there any vegetables on that? Absolutely not. And that was my dinner last night. I had two... I hope my wife's not watching. Uh, hurry up and get home, woman. No, I, I had uh, two slices of DiGiorno You know what? I delight in pizza. I delight in ice cream, and uh, today I have felt a little sick. I can't figure out why, but I have felt a little sick. Um, I delight in those things. I've had lots of hamburgers in the last week. Bless God, a lot of you have scheduled me to come over to eat this week, and I'm going to eat a lot better, amen? Don't feed me burgers, pizza, or ice cream. Give me something good, amen? Uh, but... Um, uh, but do you delight in God's Word? We, we delight in food. We delight in our activities. Some of you here are passionate about your work, whether you teach school, you're an engineer or a doctor, whatever you do. You, you're passionate about what you do. You, you, you enjoy that finished product of what you do. But do you delight in the Bible? 
You see, the seeds of the Scripture, uh, when they're obligatory, they hit the soil of your heart and they don't, don't, they don't uh, uh, put down a root system. They don't go in deep. But when you get in the Bible and you're satiated by it, you're satisfied by it, the seeds go down in and you sit there and go, oh my God, I love you and I love your Word and it's making a difference in my heart. You get in conversations with other people and it's all you want to talk about is what I got out of the Word of God this morning. Not to brag on me for reading my Bible because I love the law of the Lord. What is the end result of someone who falls in love with the Bible? Well, the Bible says his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law doth he meditate day and night. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Listen to the, listen to the constancy here. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In stark contrast, the ungodly are not so, but are like a chaff which the wind driveth away. That's that dead tree that the leaves are withered up and the wind comes and just blows them right away. Boy, when we put down the seed of God's Word in our heart and let that root and grow up, we become like a tree that cannot be moved. The storms of life will come. And and blow the lightning and the thunder and the storms and and what you'll find is a tree with a strong root system and and that provides shade and shelter for so many other people have you ever wondered why many christians never ever produce anything for the lord have you ever wondered why you don't produce as much for the lord as maybe you'd like maybe it's that you don't delight enough in the law of the lord maybe the scriptures of god's word aren't really taking root and sprouting up and producing the way they ought to. Have you ever wondered why others produce for one season or two seasons of a harvest and then they just, they're just a pretty fixture? Hey, don't be one of the, let me speak to the older crowd in the church here this evening. Don't be one of those Christians that talk about the good old days. No, listen, I'm hoping that you'll take on the spirit of, 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 let's see, Joshua's buddy, what was his name in, in the Old Testament? Caleb, that's it. There's my Caleb right there, Brother Mike, uh, who says, I want that mountain. It belongs to me. Hey, the fourth quarter of my life is going to be the best one. I'm not going to look over my shoulder and talk about the good old days of my Christian life. I want what God wants for me now. And you might be bedridden. You might not be able to do as much. But my goodness, you can pray and you can pray and you can read and you can minister and you can love and you can share. And God still has something great for your life. Don't be a has-been Christian. Boy, I want to be a Christian who's rooted in Christ, rooted in a relationship with Christ, and rooted in the words of Christ. Number two, notice the seeds of self-abandonment. Go back to John 12 with me, if you will. John 12 and verse 24. Now, Jesus was writing this primarily about himself, but there's a strong application to be made to each of us. You know, Jesus was that one grain of corn that had to go in the ground and die. None of us would be saved if Jesus hadn't been willing to die. You understand that? Because He died, we live. That one seed of corn went in the ground and died. And look at all of the ears of corn that blossom and bloom and all those that are saved because He was willing to go and lose His life. And He has called me and you 
to do the same. John 12, 24 and 25, what's it say? It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What do we, le- what do we gain by planting the seeds of self-abandonment? Well, we reap, letter A, God's paradox. God's paradox here on earth. Can you go over to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? I know many of you are very familiar with this verse, but I want to look at it a little bit more closely than normal this evening. I really want to kind of break it down with you, if I could. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And let's not just let our mind run over the words that we're familiar with, but let's really try to focus in and absorb it and take it in and understand it. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. What's that mean? We talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't we? Crucifixion's brutal. You know what else crucifixion, crucifixion is? It's deliberate. It's deliberate. There's a process to crucifying somebody. Um... Each morning, it's our job to crucify the flesh. Can I, can I give you a litmus test on how good you are at that? If we were to have a funeral in the auditorium, we've had many funerals in this auditorium. But let me say, let's just say we had a casket right here with a dead body in it. Now let's say that I came in the auditorium, it's just me and that dead body, and let's say that it was someone I just didn't really care for. And I were to walk up and say, you know what? You're ugly. Now, that wouldn't be very reverent, would it? Is that person in that casket going to get offended over what I said? You know why? He's dead. You are the biggest loser that ever walked planet Earth. He's not going to get up and hit me. He's not even going to get upset with me. Because he's dead. There's nothing... The body in that casket can do. Dead. When Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, he wasn't saying that I'm going to actually allow someone to nail me to a cross today. What he was saying is, I'm going to take my sinful flesh, and it's going to be as dead as the guy in the casket. You can't offend a dead person. That dead person can't sin either, because he's dead. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Well, wait a minute here. You just said you're, you're crucified with Christ, but yet you live. Why? Because we've been called the same thing. This baptistry pulled over here. You know what we say? We say, buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life. What's that? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. The old ways of living, the old ways of talking, the old ways, the old habits I had that were sinful, I am burying them in Christ. I'm standing up to live a new live a new life. I'm giving up my dreams. I'm giving up my passions and desires. I'm giving up what I want to do with my money and my body and my health. And I'm saying, God, it's dead in You and I live with You. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ that lives within me. You know what Paul is saying there? He's saying, I daily 
Crucify my flesh so that I can be His puppet. I can be His puppet. Put your hand down inside of me and move my mouth. Put your hand inside of me and direct me and guide me where you want me to go. Now you say, well, what kind of life is that? You know what it is? It's a surrendering of my will and saying your will be lived through me. It's, I, I, you know, you know better for me what to do and say and how to act and behave and dress and, and all those things. I'm going to give it up and I'm going to let, you say, but I'm going to lose some friends along the way. Yeah, you probably will. You say, well, my neighbors are going to think I'm weird and strange. They probably do. They probably will. You know, my neighbors scratch their head every Sunday when I leave it at, at seven in the morning to go to church. What's he doing with a suit and tie on? They're out there, you know, in their shorty shorts gardening. And I'm waving at them. What's that nut? What's that nut doing? That's okay. That's all right. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know why? Because I I resigned a long time ago to the idea that I don't know what's best for me, but He does. And if I let Him run my life, I'll be far happier and far better off. By the way, for every friend that God has taken away from me that shouldn't have been, God's brought a new friend along that's helped be there by my side to guide me and show me where to go. For all that language that God has taken away out of my life at times of carnality, God has replaced it with a song in my heart. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know, we give up our life and God has something great for us. If you've never written this quote down, I would really encourage you to do it. And I really encourage you to meditate on this quote long beyond the message today. Here's the quote. Oftentimes, God will not use someone mightily until he has allowed them to be hurt deeply. Oftentimes, God will not use someone mightily until he's allowed them to be hurt deeply. There are times of suffering that have come into my life. At first, when that happened in my young adult life, I'd say, God, what are you doing to me? Why are you allowing such pain and hurt in my heart? And God would say, I can't use you greatly till I've hurt you deeply. Why? Because I cannot abound until I have first been abased. Do you understand that to the level that God abases you, to that same level He can raise you up? Abasing hurts. Abasing's not fun. Being humiliated is not fun. Being taught humility on a deeper, newer level is hurtful and painful. But God says, I'm going to lift you up after I have emptied you of yourself. You know, before God could let Moses part the Red Sea, he had to put him on the backside of the desert. But before David could be the general of Saul's army, he first had to learn how to be a lowly shepherd. Before David could be king of Israel, he had to be chased around the wilderness with his life in his, 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 his heart in hand, fearing for his life for years. Before Abraham could watch Isaac be born, he had to wander around the wilderness wondering if God was going to come through. And for a more modern day example, I think of Adoniram Judson for 40 years in Burma. Lived there. He lost three wives who died on the mission field with him. He died hardly seeing anybody saved after years and years and years of of throwing the seeds of the Gospel into the soil of the hearts of of the Burmese people. But shortly after... Adoniram Judson died. Revival broke out in Burma because he stayed the course and he was faithful. God had to abase 
before, uh, before He could abound. You see, if you're willing to give up your life and your dreams and desires to God and say, God, I will let my dreams die, God says, I will take your dreams and I will replace them with my dreams and they'll be far greater. I just ask you this question tonight. Everybody, I want everybody to listen and consider this question. Have you given your dreams to God and said, God, if you want to take my dreams and kill them and replace them with yours, I'm willing to. Let me just put it to you this way. If God came to you tonight and knocked on your heart's door and said, I want you to drop everything you're doing and go to the mission field, would you be willing to do that? Seriously, would you be willing to do that? If God came to Pastor Lejeune and said, resign White Oak Baptist Church, I want you to go to the middle of nowhere, pastor, and be a missionary. Would I be willing to do that? Hey, you business owners, sell your companies and go. You teenagers, surrender your heart to me right now because when you get old enough, I'm going to send you to the mission field. Are you willing to do that? You say, oh, I can't imagine uh, uh, leaving America, leaving the comfort of my home. I can't imagine what that would be like. It's not a question of will God. It's a question is if God did, are you willing to give up everything and do it? You see, if you're willing to, to give up everything and go do what God has, wants for you to do, then you'll be willing to do obey Him in the smallest of areas in your life. One of the ways you can know if you'd be willing to go where God wants you to go is tomorrow morning when He says, get up a few minutes early and read your Bible, are you going to do that? If you're not surrendered in the little areas, you're not going to be surrendered in the big areas. God's paradox. Letter B, notice, we reap eternal perspective. I hasten, turn over to Luke 18. And verse 18. Luke 18, verse 18. We, we, we reap eternal perspective. I'll begin reading. You can catch up when you get there. It says, we're going to read down to verse 25. Luke 18, 18 through 25. The Bible says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When he had heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You know what this young man's problem was? He was not willing to abandon his selfish desires. And because of that, he was not even able to get saved. Now, I believe many of you in here are saved. But I do believe this. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to see how your selfish desires held you back from doing what God really wanted you to do. I believe this. I believe we get to heaven. And as your pastor, many of you are going to come up to me and you're going to say, why didn't you preach on soul anymore? Why didn't you push us harder to share our faith? Some of you here may feel like I beat that drum too much as it is. I've heard many folks complain that Pastor Pezlak beat that drum too much. But I think you'll go to Pastor Pezlak when you get to heaven and say, thank you. Thank you for preaching it and preaching it and preaching it. I wish I would have seen it then the way I see it now. You see, we've got to abandon trying to make ourselves better. And we've got to say, God, 
I'm tired of trying to live the Christian life through my own flesh. And I want you to show me where to go, what to say, who to talk to, how to behave, what job to work, how to live my life. And if we will do that, then when we get to heaven one day, whether we've done it or not, we're going to reap the perspective of eternality. Let's move on. Number three, notice the seeds of servitude. The seeds of servitude. What do we reap when we sow the seeds of servitude? We reap letter A, God's presence on earth. God's presence. Go back to John 12, verse 26. It says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servants be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, we put a lot of emphasis on serving this morning. But under the understanding of serving God, do you get? Do you see in this verse what all you get when you serve God? Serve Christ? Look back at it. it if any man serve me, let him follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but getting to follow Jesus is pretty awesome. Getting to follow the Savior is a great privilege. Great privilege. Um, the CEO from your company showed up. And said, hey, I want you to follow me around for a day. I'm going to take you to headquarters, show you around. It would be a privilege, wouldn't it? You get to eat in my dining hall and, and sit and, and or eat my private quarters and sit and share company with me. That would be, be a great privilege. Some of you are like, I own my own company. I am the CEO. Okay, well, you know, work with me here. You understand where I'm coming from. Jesus says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Let him follow me. By being the servant of Christ, you are following in his footsteps. Look back at the verse. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. I, I don't know, I don't really know how to explain this other than just, I'll just say this here. If you've never experienced the presence of the Lord strong in your life, you're greatly missing out. Greatly missing out. You ever been doing the work of the Lord and you got in your car afterwards and you said to yourself, Boy, I am wore out. But this is a good kind of tired. You ever been there? You ever been there? I have I have worked until I am dropping dead. But I, there is an eternal gain that's coming from this. You know what that is? That's serving God. You're following Him. And you know what happens is that you feel a connection with God that otherwise can't be explained. I sang a song a couple of months ago, If your presence go not with me, I don't want to go. We talked about that with Moses. Don't just send us ahead and leave us. We, the journey with you is most important. What happens when you sow the seeds of servitude? Well, you reap the presence of God that's evident in your life and all of the benefits that come with it. Letter B, we, we, we reap eternal prizes or eternal rewards. Let me read for you Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. The Bible says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I jokingly said to someone the other day, I said, there'd be plenty of time to rest when we get to heaven. Plenty of time to rest when we get to heaven. Now, 
I think you do need to take seasons of rest on earth. I think you need to sleep good at night. Uh, I told uh, our missionary friend in Peru, I said, you don't get a prize for sleeping three hours a night. You need to get good sleep. And, uh, and he works and works and works. Uh, but, uh, but there is something to be gained in heaven entering that haven of rest because you have worked hard for the Savior. Let me just encourage all of you here tonight. Some of you are weary in well-doing. You're weary in well-doing. You're tired of teaching your Sunday school class or you're tired of working in a particular ministry. Can I tell you something? You're going to have heaven to rest forever. So be not weary in well-doing. God's going to reward you, and He's going to give you those prizes for having served Him. Let's finish up the message number four, the seeds of suffering. The seeds of suffering. You sow the seeds of suffering, well, what do you reap? Letter A, notice we reap God's grace. God's grace. Turn over to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I have Philippians 3, 8 through 10. I'll let you look that up later. I found a passage after the notes went up on the screen or were prepared for the screen. And so, uh, for, uh, Philippians 3, 8 through 10, we kind of looked at this morning. I'm going to direct our attention over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you could turn over there with me. What's the benefit of suffering? Now, I've, I've said this before, but if we were to put a sign-up sheet in the lobby and say, sign up if you want to suffer next week, I don't think anybody put their name on the list. But what happens when we suffer? What are the what is the harvest that comes out of suffering? Now, I'm not talking about suffering because you did something dumb. You want to go jump off a bridge and break your leg. Well, I'm sorry. I can't see a whole lot of positive coming out of that. But sometimes God brings suffering into our life we didn't ask for. Sometimes a child goes wayward and we did everything right we could to raise him. Sometimes um, uh, you have a sickness come into your life you didn't ask for. God sent that into your life. And you're suffering, and you're sitting there going, well, why do I have to go through this? Sometimes there are changes, or maybe there's the lack of something that we want, and we really want it bad, and we suffer in anguish of soul because we just don't get that expectation. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6. Paul says, for though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool, uh, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth, uh, seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. So here we, we'll pick up the reading of verse 9 in a minute, but here we have Paul, and he's suffering with a thorn in the flesh. What was that thorn in the flesh? The Bible doesn't tell us. Paul wasn't specific. I believe it was an eyesight problem, but the Bible doesn't say. Whatever it was, there was a physical ailment that was holding Paul back, that was causing him to suffer, and he suffered and he suffered and he suffered, and he felt limited in his work for the Lord because he suffered. He felt weak. He felt uh, held back. And he went to the Lord three times, and he got on his face and he said, the messenger of Satan has brought this into my life, and I'm abased by it. I'm humiliated by it. I'm held back by it. I'm suffering because of it. Lord, if you remove this from me, I can do so much more for your work. Look at verse 9. And he, the Lord, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
You cannot know the grace of God unless you experience the suffering that comes from God. Now, unfortunately, there are so many folks who suffer and they don't experience God's grace because they grow resentful toward God for their suffering. If you're going to get resentful toward God for your suffering, you're not going to know God's grace. Now, I know for some of you here this evening, this is going right over your head because you're not suffering right now, especially some of our younger folks in the room. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be days of tears and pain and hurt that will come in your life and you'll drop your head and you won't have any words to say and you'll wonder where God is and you'll say, God, why are you allowing me to suffer? And God says, I'm going to allow you to suffer so I can turn around and I can show you my grace and you can experience it in a profound way. My friend, tonight, if you don't suffer, you won't know God's grace and you won't be able to turn around and show that grace to other people around you. What are the, what is the harvest of suffering that comes into our life? Well, God gets the glory. He's edified and He's praised when we, when we glory not in our own good, but in our infirmities and the power of Christ rests upon us. Let's finish up the sermon letter B. Notice God's glory. God's glory. Now, this one's in heaven and earth. Now, I want to point out back in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6, where Paul begins by saying, For though I would desire to glory. You know how God kept Paul's self-boasting in check? He sent a thorn in the flesh. He said, let me stick this thorn, this infirmity in your flesh. That will keep you humble, buddy. And you know who you're going to turn around and give the glory to? You're going to give it to me. Now, go back to John chapter 12, and we see the same theme of God getting the glory. Hey, listen, Jesus is God, but even Jesus said, I want to give glory to God the Father. Look at John 12, uh, 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Oh, boy. So, Jesus, you're going to be glorified then surely that just means that you get to waltz right down glory lane and step right up and get the glory, right? No. Glory comes from suffering. Glory comes from suffering. Now, we know that that corn of wheat, Jesus, died on the cross, so that, or corn of, or rather, that, that grain of corn, Jesus, died on the cross so that we could be made free and have victory in Christ. Now look down at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. Here's the suffering of Jesus. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You know uh, the song, um, uh, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels? That was really popular in the 90s, early 2000s. He could have called 10,000 angels to, to set Him free. But He died alone for you and me. Is that how the song goes? Something like that? He could have called down the angels to take Him off the cross. But you know what? He wouldn't have humanity bowing at His feet had He done that. Jesus had to go through the suffering of the cross to gain the glory of the Father. Who gets the glory? Well, God does. Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Hey, I was made to die. I was born to die upon Calvary. Verse 28, Father, glorify Thy name. There came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. There may be a day where God riddles my body with cancer. There may be a day where God strikes me down dead and I lay in a casket at a premature age. I, I hope that doesn't happen. I don't know that it will happen. I don't want it to happen. 
But if that day comes, I hope God gets all the glory and the praise and honor for anything good that's come out of my life. Because it's not me, it's Him. Some of you here tonight are suffering. Privately. No one knows, or just a few people know. And you've allowed a spirit of resentment or bitterness to build up in your heart because of that suffering that God's allowing you to go through. You know, God's trying to use that time of suffering in your life to teach you grace. To teach you His grace. And He wants you to turn around and reap a harvest of glory that gets given back to Him for the pain you've gone through. I hope tonight I've convinced you to sow the seeds of the Scripture, sow the seeds of self-abandonment, sow the seeds of being a servant, sow the seeds of being a, uh, of suffering in the soil of your heart so that a harvest that, that, that bodes forth in plentitude like a tree planted by the rivers of water can mark your life. Lord, I pray that you'd use the sermon that was preached tonight. Someone here tonight, Lord, desperately needed what was said. I don't know necessarily who, but God, I pray that that spirit of resentment towards suffering or being a servant, or that attitude of I can do it myself, I can be a good Christian through my own strength would be set to the side. Lord, a new passion and fondness and love, a delighting in the law of the Lord would be re-sparked in a Christian's heart or maybe sparked for the first time. Or do a work in your heart, the heart of your people like only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.